This is Alex Granados, reporter for Education NC, and I want to welcome you to our podcast, Ed Talk. Today we're talking with eight-term North Carolina representative, Republican Paul Stamm. Stamm has announced that he will not be running for re-election in 2016. He is Speaker Pro Tempore of the North Carolina House and has played a key role in shaping education policy in the state. Representative Stamm, thank you for talking with me today. Thank you, Alex. So I want to start with your decision not to run for re-election. Why did you decide after eight terms that you had reached the end of your tenure in the North Carolina House? Well, it had been the end of eight terms, which is uh, 16 years. I thought that was long enough. I came with a list of several things to accomplish, and every year the list just kept growing more and more, and I realized I'd never get to the end of it. I'm also 65 and have another life as well. So this past long session of the General Assembly featured a lot of debate on education. Um, What do you think are the most significant education policy changes that came out of this last session? A couple of things I thought were very important. At the community college level, for the first time, we funded summer enrollment at community colleges. Uh, That means that... uh, Students are older at community colleges, I'd say average maybe 28, 29, 30, and when they want to get a job, they really don't need to take a break in the summer from their education, so this will allow them to take courses year-round and the community college be funded for that. This will mean uh, students who want to go to UNC can take summer classes first or after the first year and get some of those courses at much lower cost, uh, complete degrees sooner. I think that was a really good uh, change. Are there some others that jump out at you? Uh, Yes, yes. We augmented the uh, rules for scholarships for children with special needs to make it Uh, more user-friendly, make it uh, more uh, affordable for those students, but uh, we didn't um, uh, fund enrollment growth in that program. So the good and the bad there. Charter schools, uh, there was a major bill, House Bill 334, which uh, changed some of the rules of, of governance of charter schools and probably amongst 10 or 12 different um reforms, probably the one that makes the most difference, is allows charter schools to have a weighted lottery. Um, Charter schools are public schools funded with public money. They have to take all the students that apply, but if they're oversubscribed, then the attendance is decided based upon chance, a true education lottery. Uh, But some schools are set up for special missions. Uh, This school might be for Uh, science, technology, math. Another school might be uh, set up for at-risk children. Another school might be set up for uh, foreign languages. So this bill allows a school to weight the lottery to give children a better chance to get into that school if they're really applying for the mission that the school is set up to fulfill. And um, are there things that you think uh, were left unaddressed this session? Well, uh, no enrollment growth for the special needs scholarships. 
unaddressed. Uh, the funding, local funding for charter schools was not addressed. Charter schools, do number one, don't get any capital funding, unlike other public schools, and they get less of the uh, local funding than uh, district or traditional schools. There were several efforts to equalize that or attempt to make equalize it that did not come to fruition. And there was some debate about that when it was being discussed. Um, opponents of the change were saying that that was money that uh, was properly earmarked for traditional public schools and shouldn't go to charter schools, whereas charter schools were saying the opposite. It, it was very complicated on each side. Uh, I think that the uh, advocates or the defenders, I guess, of the traditional public schools admit that they're not giving enough to the charter schools, but they don't admit that they should give as much to the charter schools as the charter schools want. But the one issue, and that is of capital funding, I've never understood any logic that would suggest that a student going to a charter school should not get funding for capital. I don't, I don't get that at all. So this was a really long, long session, and um, part of the holdup was a sort of stalemate between the House and Senate budgets, and a lot of that seemed to do with, um, you know, the the Senate thinking that uh, we shouldn't fund teacher assistance and driver's ed and, and the House thinking that we should. And ultimately, the way it was resolved is that the teacher assistant funding stayed the same and driver's ed kept its funding. Um, but do you think this debate is one that is going to shape future General Assembly sessions? Teacher assistant funding did not really stay the same. Uh, situation before this budget was that there was a certain amount for teacher assistance, but there was flexibility given the LEAs that some of that money could be used, for example, for teachers. Some of the advocates for keeping that teacher assistant funding in the budget uh, sort of got uh, beyond themselves and didn't really understand the argument. And so they made the argument based on we have to have teacher assistance. We have to have teachers. We have to have teacher assistance. Now, of course, the majority of it is for teacher assistance. Uh, the Senate heard that from some people and said, "Well, if you are so bound and determined that it's got to be teacher assistance, we're going to give it to you good and hard, and we're going to make you take away the flexibility to use some of that money for teachers." And that's a bad thing, because depending on what uh, LEA you're in you may need to use some of that money for a teacher instead of a teacher assistant. So hopefully there'll be a, a more rational resolution of that in the short session. And do you think we're going to be revisiting this this idea of cutting funding for teacher assistance? I don't think in 2016 we will, but it'll come up again, I'm sure, in 2017. And what about driver's ed? Because the Senate was proposing some changes, uh, including ultimately taking it out of public schools and putting it in community college hands. And so far, none of that is happening. But do you think that that is a path we're headed down? Uh, that'll come up again. I don't think the idea of doing it at community college makes any sense at all. The community colleges didn't want it. Uh, that's not where the kids are that need driver's ed. Community colleges tend to have much older students. Uh, the Senate had a little bit of sense on their side in that, well, let's say we all want uh, teen uh, new drivers to drive safely. 
and there have been improvements in driver safety. But the real reason for the new driver safety has not been the driver education courses, but rather the graduated driver license laws that went into effect, I don't know, four or five years ago. That is letting new drivers sort of ease into it rather than all of a sudden. So I think there'll be continuing discussion, number one, about what is the best way to teach driving, and secondly, who should pay for it. You know, the typical, I think the fee that the schools would charge was something like $60 a year when the true cost is about $300 a year. And even when that $60 fee was put on, there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, how can we possibly come up with the $60? Well, if to me, that's like one fill-up of gas, or maybe now one and a half fill-ups for a car. If you have a car, you're paying thousands in insurance, thousands in gas, thousands for the car itself, so that the idea that the student or the student's parents can't afford $60 or $100 or is to me is ludicrous. But when once people obtain a benefit, no matter how irrational it is, they tend to want to keep that benefit. So short session is coming up in the spring. Um, what education issues do you predict will be the hot topics of this session? One thing will be funding enrollment growth for special needs children. Another thing, as always, is compensation for teachers. Um, more importantly, the structure of compensation. What I mean by that is you'll have a certain amount of money that's available for compensation in 2014, it was an average 7%, almost 7% pay increase. This year, it was an average 4% pay increase. But some people don't feel it because uh, some people only got a 750 bonus, whereas others who, were, who get the step increases at certain stages in their career got much more than that. So people you know, like to talk about what the average is, but they want their part of the average to be just as much as everybody else. We can't keep doing across-the-board pay increases. The result of that is that we don't pay our best teachers enough, and we pay our unbest teachers too much. And by best teachers, I don't only include um, merit pay, but also differential pay, that is, for people willing to take additional tasks, um, helping clubs, athletics, uh, being a mentor, being the chair of the department. We have to have a what I would call a career pathways so that teachers who are willing to take on extra responsibilities or work in a hard-to-staff school or teach a hard-to-teach uh, hard subject, that they can get market wages for that. The downside of that is the people who teach equally as important subjects, but subjects that just don't cost as much in the real world, like English, language arts, social studies, they become upset at the thought of someone else receiving more money for spending the same time of, time of day at the school. But that's what life is. That's how most of the economy is. That's how all private business 
operates. It's o- really the only profession with any significant number of people who are all paid the same based on longevity and credentials is really teachers. That's about it. And it's not good. Um, over your time, do you think that um, you can see a vision for education in North Carolina that has taken shape over um, you know, a decade or a decade and a half in the General Assembly? I don't really know what vision is. Uh, it's used quite a bit, but I'm not sure we're all take, talking the same thing. I remember my first term was in 1989-90 when uh, everything was about, uh, let's see, what was the name of it then for education? The, uh, the basic education plan. And the idea was spending an extra billion or so on various programs. And it's Every year I've been there, and this is, is my eighth term, there's always an, a movement to fix K-12 education. Well, fix K. People are generally satisfied with the academic work of the community colleges, and they like the universities, although you know, they'll criticize them for their political stuff, but they're generally satisfied with their educational work but they're always dissatisfied with the output of K-12, and they always have a new idea. So to answer your question, the vision is always let's make it better, but many times the recipe of things to make it better uh, do not make it better. I'll use an example. Uh, A few years ago, it was called the ABCs, and the idea we would give bonuses to the teachers in schools that were making certain uh, metrics, but not to other schools. But then you would split the rewards equally amongst all the teachers. So the worst teacher in a good school would get the reward, but the best teacher in a bad school would not get the reward. So it would, that, the result of that was it was very hard to get really good teachers to go to schools that had trouble. So that was a reform that was counterproductive. Um, You know, critics of school choice of charters and and opportunity scholarships often say that it hurts traditional public schools. What do you think about that critique? It's not factually correct. There have been about 23 peer-reviewed studies of the effect on traditional public schools of having a nearby private school choice program. In all but one of those studies, the academic achievement of the traditional public schools went up, and one of the studies was inconclusive. It just, it's not true. Now, they can, they keep saying it. I heard a state senator said, well, it it drains money from the public schools. Well, a quick math problem solution illustrates how wrongheaded that is. We spend about 9000 per year for average for children in traditional public schools, and the opportunity scholarships for moderate to low-income students is 4200 a year. So obviously, it's not costing us money, it's saving us money. And you can see the fiscal notes uh, that are done by professional staff and 
uh, they're done in such a way as to balance the costs and the benefits, so they really don't cost money at all. But that's just a canard that if they think if they say it enough times, it'll it'll become true. And so uh, you are going to be leaving the General Assembly. What are your plans for the future? Well, I will. I'm not retiring. <laughs> I'll be working in my law practice. I'm not retiring from politics. I meddled in politics for decades before I was in the state house, and I'll continue to do that. And I continue to write on uh, public policy matters uh, way too regularly for some people. And uh, I've heard rumors that there that uh, you might be looking at a judgeship in the future. Is there any uh, truth to those rumors? I have heard that rumor six <laughs> times, and it's the first. I mean, I haven't discussed that with uh, anybody who knew anything about it. So, no, I'm not looking for that. That mean I wouldn't want to be a judge, but uh, that's not anything imminent or anything I've worked on. Okay. Well, Representative Stam, thank you for joining us today. Sure. Thank you. Republican Paul Stam is an eight-term member of the North Carolina House of Representatives and Speaker Pro Tempore of the House. This is Ed Talk, a podcast from Education NC. Thank you for listening.